Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. Also streaming worldwide at forwardradio.org. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 344, The True Cost of Energy. We're going to explore these questions. What is the true cost of energy? What do we really want? from energy policy, and what do we really want from government in general? So what happened recently is that there was this Inflation Reduction Act that came out of the Senate, and a good portion of the Inflation Reduction Act had to do with energy and climate. So the Inflation Reduction Act has big plans for so-called clean energy, so-called renewable energy, and also clean vehicles. So we're going to look at what is the true cost of clean energy? What is the true cost of electric vehicles or any vehicles? What's the true cost of fossil fuels? And what do we really want from federal policy in these regards? So here's a statement from the White House. came out a week or two ago. It's talking about clean energy lowering energy costs. Families will be able to take advantage of clean energy and the electric vehicle tax credits, which will save more than $1,000 per year. $14,000 in consumer rebates for families to buy, emphasis on buy, heat pumps and other energy efficient home appliances, saving families at least a projected $350 per year says here 7.5 million more families will be able to install solar on their roofs with a 30% tax credit, saving families $9,000 over the life of the system, or at least $300 per year. It says up to $7,500 in tax credits for new electric vehicles and $4,000 for used electric vehicles helping families save $950 per year. And here are some staggering figures that have grave implications for energy policy. They have grave implications for the environment. And that is as follows. We're going to build a clean energy economy by powering homes, businesses, and communities with much more clean energy by 2030, including 950 million solar panels. That's approximately 2.7 solar panels per American. So nearly three solar panels for every individual family of four is going to have 10 or 12 solar panels. In addition, 120,000 wind turbines. And in addition, 2,300 grid scale battery plants. So we're going to have batteries because the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. So one thing I want you to notice here is that solar panels don't come from nowhere. They have to be manufactured. You have to manufacture them from materials obtained from mining. The same with wind turbines. They don't come from nowhere. They come from manufacturing plants which got their materials from mines and forests 
and those require roads. So we're talking about the true cost of energy. If we want to know the true cost of energy, we have to look at what it takes to manufacture a solar panel, what it takes to manufacture a wind turbine, what it takes to manufacture the materials that are needed for the power lines that are required to deliver electricity from the point of generation to the point of use. So when you have solar and wind, you have a much less concentrated source of energy. As a result, you need a lot more sources of energy and you're going to have to have a lot more wires, aka transmission lines, coming from the point where the power is generated to the point where the power is used. And yet, how often are we told about the cost of mining, the ecological cost of mining, the ecological cost of manufacturing? the social cost of mining and manufacturing, the exploitation of the individuals, the health costs to people who have to handle the materials in the mines, or the health costs of the people who have to handle the materials in factories. We should at least do an honest accounting of the costs of so-called renewable energy. Only if we have a true accounting of the cost of so-called renewable energy can we know whether it's a good thing. So remember on this episode what we're talking about is what is the true cost of energy, both renewable and otherwise, and what do we really want from our energy policy? What do we really want from our government? Sometimes our choices are so limited for so long that we forget what we really want. But let's look at the true cost of fossil fuels. So we're supposed to be engaged in this big transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy. And as part of that analysis, the International Monetary Fund did an analysis and a computation and they discovered that Fossil fuels cost $5 trillion annually in externalities. So externalities are hidden costs. So it's like we know what the out-of-pocket cost is of using fossil fuels, but what are those hidden costs? So the hidden costs of fossil fuels include like when the, when the companies get tax credits for research and development. That's us, the taxpayers, paying the fossil fuel companies to do more of what they do. They get to do that because they own the government. Also, out-of-pocket costs include loan guarantees, like when a, somebody wants to drill or frack or have a coal mine and they get loan guarantees for fracking and drilling. That represents a certain out-of-pocket cost to you and me, the taxpayer, in order to subsidize the fossil fuel industry. Other externalities associated with fossil fuels include health problems related to air pollution caused by fossil fuels, or health problems related to water pollution, or ecological problems related to water pollution. 
Another ec externality is the ecological devastation that comes from the use of fossil fuels, whether at the point of extraction or the point of processing or the point of use. And here's another externality. Here is another way in which the fossil fuel industry is not paying its way. And that is when we, the taxpayer, build the roads that subsidize the use of cars because the oil companies are not paying for our roads and yet the oil companies benefit from our roads. And the oil companies and the car companies have an incentive to lobby the government and make sure we build roads, build roads, build roads, but not we're not going to build trains, we're not going to build buses because highway, highway, building the highway. When are we going to build another highway? When are we going to add another lane? These are public decisions that are made to favor a transportation system that it, where you have to have a car. You have to have a car to get around. The people who don't have cars make that choice at considerable sacrifice and nearly everybody chooses to have a car even though the cost of a car is on average $10,000 per year. $10,000 per year per car is the average cost of owning and operating a car. That's a lot of money. The car companies are getting some of that money. The oil companies are getting some of that money. The insurance companies are getting some of that money. The banks are getting some of that money because they do the financing. And we do as much of that as we do because the people and the corporations that have money to lobby to get their way with the federal government have the power, have the incentive and the power to make sure we have an automobile intensive transportation system. So we the taxpayers build the roads so that we can pay even more money to have cars. Now, if you live in the country, you need a car. But if you live in the city, our streets are clogged with cars. Our highways are clogged with cars. You would think that we could relieve a little bit of the congestion on our highways and in our streets and in our neighborhoods by providing public funding for transportation. But no! You'd think the government would be interested in helping people save $10,000 a year. But no! You'd think we'd be looking for ways to reduce the 40,000 people who die every year on highways. Because we could reduce that number if more people were getting around in trains and buses. So on this episode, we're exploring what is the true cost of energy. And we need to look at externalities associated with fossil fuels. We need to look at externalities, that is, the cost that these companies are not paying. The company and the consumer are not paying the true cost for fossil fuels. The company and the consumer are not paying the true cost of automobiles. The company and the consumer are not paying the true cost of roads, and that's what an externality is. So we're looking at what is the true cost of energy. We're looking at what do we really want from energy policy? What do we really want from federal policy? What do we really want from transportation policy? 
And in order to know what we really want, we have to know what things really cost. We need to know the true out-of-pocket cost. We need to know the true hidden costs, like cost to taxpayers. We need to know the health costs. We need to know the ecological costs. So the people that are behind renewable energy, not least of all those that are the companies that are making money off of this stuff, the people that are making and supporting and promoting renewable energy, they want you to know the hidden cost of fossil fuels, including the out-of-pocket cost to taxpayers, including the ecological costs and the healthcare costs. But who's talking about those same costs related to renewable energy? so-called renewable energy. Who's talking about this? So let's talk a little bit about what it takes to make a solar panel. So the photovoltaic element of a solar panel is made from silicon. Silicon is made from sand, but not just any sand. It has to be refined. You have to dig up a lot of sand and there's about a one to four ratio between the finished product and the amount of toxic waste associated with it. In, in other words, there's about four times the amount of toxic waste as what you actually get in the final product. This according to Bright Green Lies by Derek Jensen, Lear Keith, and Max Wilbert, an excellent book, and much of the following information is drawn from Bright Green Lies. So it takes a lot of mining to make a solar panel, and like any mining, the mining of sand is toxic and polluting. The refinement is an intensive industrial process requiring specialized equipment, dangerous materials, and toxic substances. The strip mining of sand requires earth-moving equipment that is powered with diesel engines. The sand must be purified by crushing it milling it, and washing it. And this whole process kills fish and causes the destruction of sensitive wildlife habitats. In addition to sand, the production of solar panels also requires rare earth minerals. Now if you think about it, rare earth minerals, if something is rare, that means you don't find it in very many places. And when you find it, you find it in very low concentrations. So it's like you have to dig through a lot of dirt to get to the gold and you have to dig through a lot of dirt to get to the rare earth minerals. So once you're done extracting the minerals from all this dirt, what do you have? What you have is toxic waste because there's toxic chemicals that are required to remove the rare earth metals from the dirt. So when you have the toxic waste, so then you have toxic waste that comes from this process of extraction. Over here, you have the rare earth metals that you were looking for. Over here, you have the toxic waste, and the toxic waste it flows into tailing ponds. Tailing ponds are associated with all kinds of mining, and it is a pond or a lake of toxic waste. So what we're doing here is we're looking at the true cost of energy. We want to look at the true cost 
of fossil fuels, and we want to look at the true cost of so-called renewable energy, because only if we know the true cost can we make good decisions as citizens, or as policymakers, those of us who are policymakers. So speaking of tailing ponds, The Guardian wrote the following about a tailing pond in China. It writes, the foul waters of the tailing pond contain all sorts of toxic chemicals, but also radioactive elements such as thorium, which if ingested cause cancers of the pancreas and lungs and leukemia. And then a local resident reports, before the factories were built, there were just fields here as far as the eye can see. In the place of this radioactive sludge, there were watermelons and tomatoes, says the local residents. So the authors of Bright Green Lines go on to say, Bright, Bright Green Lies go on to say, the soil and water near Baotou, China, are so polluted that the local residents can no longer grow vegetables there. Many have fled. Many have been forcibly relocated. Many have died, and those who remain are suffering a host of diseases caused by this mining. The foregoing comes from two articles from The Guardian. One is August 7, 2012, by Cecile Bontron. Rare earth mining in China comes at a heavy cost for local villages. Pollution is poisoning the farms and villages of the region that processes the precious minerals. We're talking about this because rare earth minerals are included in all sorts of manufacturing, including the manufacturing of materials that are required for so-called renewable energy. So when the president or the democratic senators that passed this bill, they're talking about 950 million solar panels we're going to manufacture. 950 million solar panels. Yay! The rest of us need to be thinking, what's the true cost of that? So that's one question. What's the true cost? Another question is, how much fossil fuel usage is actually going to be displaced by the adoption of so-called renewable energy. Is the adoption of so-called renewable energy going to actually reduce the amount of fossil fuels that we use? Because that's the whole idea, right? We wouldn't be talking about renewable energy if there weren't this preconceived notion that says so-called renewable energy is going to reduce our fossil fuel usage. But how much is that actually going to take place? How much of that is going to actually reduce our fossil fuel usage? And then it's like, is there a third choice? Lots and lots of fossil fuels or lots and lots of renewable energy, so-called. Or is there a third choice? Is there another strategy to reduce fossil fuel usage? Is there a more effective strategy for reducing fossil fuel usage? What if we do all this renewable energy and it turns out to not reduce our fossil fuel usage? 
And that is the path that we are on. Because for one thing, when you have a new source of energy, historically, it does not tend to reduce your other means of energy production. For example, nuclear energy did not reduce the extent to which we use coal or oil. If anything, it facilitated the increase of the energy usage from those other sources. So what we don't want to do is get down the road 10 more years and say, hey, we've manufactured all these solar panels, we've manufactured all these wind turbines, we've manufactured all the parts that are needed for transmission lines, and we did all this because we were supposed to reduce fossil fuel usage. Why haven't we reduced fossil fuel usage? And that's exactly where we're going to be, I predict, because solar and wind do not reduce fossil fuel usage very much, if at all. Richard York, for example, at the University of Oregon, has shown that for every unit of so-called renewable energy that is brought online, only one-tenth as much fossil fuel is taken offline. This is reported in Nature Climate Change in an article entitled, Do Alternative Energy Sources Displace Fossil Fuels? March 18, 2012. So if Richard York's research is true, then you bring on 10 units of solar energy that only reduces fossil fuel consumption by one unit. In other words, the new energy produced by renewables like solar and wind is 10 times the amount of the reduction from coal, oil, and, and natural gas. That doesn't seem like what we we're told it doesn't seem like what we are bargaining for. It doesn't seem like what we want. So let's take just a minute to look at the total energy consumption by the United States, which is measured in British thermal units or BTUs. We've got a nice round figure here to work with. So the United States, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, in April of 2022, it says that the U.S. uses 100 quadrillion BTUs of energy. BTU stands for British Thermal Unit, or BTU, 100 quadrillion BTU. So that 100 is a nice round figure. The fantasy being advanced by the advocates of renewable energy is that 100 quadrillion is somehow going to stay the same or not very much when we introduce solar, wind, biomass, etc. And the other part of the fantasy that is being put, pushed upon us is this fantasy of 100% re renewable energy, 100% carbon neutral, zero carbon emissions, as if all that sand that it takes to, you have to mine to have the materials to make the silicon, 
that you put in the solar panel as this, as if all that mining of sand takes zero energy or zero carbon. And another thing that takes zero carbon is when you're refining the sand into silicon, it takes multiple steps. One of those steps, you have to heat the furnace to 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That doesn't take any carbon, does it? And then in another step, when you have to heat the furnace to 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit, that doesn't take any carbon either. And when you build all those transmission lines, that doesn't take any carbon. When you mine all that copper, this infrastructure takes a lot of copper because copper is still the state of the art for electrical wiring in most cases. So you might say, Hart, isn't this just a, uh, a necessary evil? Isn't this just what we have to do? I mean, do we really have a choice here? I mean, don't we have to stop using fossil fuels to save the planet from climate change? Don't we have to stop using fossil fuels to save our species from global warming? I'm saying there's a serious question as to whether so-called renewable energy is actually renewable. I'm saying there's a serious question as to whether so-called clean energy is clean. There's a serious question as to whether solar and wind are going to reduce our carbon footprint at all. There's a serious question as to whether solar and wind are going to reduce our fossil fuel consumption at all. I'm looking at a chart here from the Energy Information Administration. It gives a breakdown of the different types of energy that we use. So 36% of the energy that we use out of the whole 100 quadrillion British thermal units or BTUs out of the whole 100 quadrillion BTUs the United States uses 36% of it is from petroleum 32% of it is from natural gas 11% of it is from coal 8% of it is from nuclear and rounding out the set, 12% is from so-called renewable energy. What we're being told is if you take that 12% renewable energy and make that 100%, then that's going to zero out our carbon footprint and that's going to reduce our fossil fuel consumption. But that scenario cannot apply that scenario will not come true if it's true what Richard York is saying, that so-called renewable energy, you give, give me 10, min, 10 units of renewable energy that only reduces fossil fuel usage by one unit. And that's just the carbon angle. We haven't even talked about the ecological destruction caused by the mining of sand, the ecological destruction caused by the mining of rare earth minerals, the amount of carbon that it takes to heat those furnaces to 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit or 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So I've got another less than a minute. Let me leave you with something to think about. We are yet again being led down the garden path by people 
who, like so many times before, they want to make money off of us and they don't care about the consequences. Environmentalists are being led down the garden path because it is is environmentalists that are pushing all of this so-called renewable energy without any apparent knowledge of the consequences of these industrial processes, these industrial products. The true solution is to cut our energy production in half and then cut it in half again. We can do that without sacrificing very much, but how to do that is going to be the subject for another episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a nice day.